Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the power of your love, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the mid-1990s, I lived in North Carolina, and every October, a piece of the parable that we hear today would ring true. You see, merchants who buy and sell furniture would come from all over the world, from literally every major city, to the annual Furniture Market Expo the largest wholesale furniture market in the world, their place where buyers from everywhere would gather to look at new designs and home furnishings. In every one of these cases, the owners of the furniture stores entrust their livelihoods back home to their managers or their administrators in the same way that the master in the parable has left the various talents in the hands of faithful servants. The modern furniture expo lasts only a couple of weeks, but to those in the ancient world, some merchants would travel to look for carpets in Persia and spices in India, and then they'd go looking for building materials and veneers in Spain and North Africa, and their trips away from home would take months, sometimes years. And we know historically that some of these merchants never came back home again. These types of stories were familiar in Jesus' time. Modern equivalents could possibly be things like any time a young adult is left at home to care for younger siblings, or any time your boss travels on business, or if anyone of any esteem comes to visit you, the scenario we hear in the parable plays out in some sort of way. Someone is left back home in charge of something. This isn't a foreign story to us at all. And so in the gospel, we hear about a servant with five talents who grows them to ten talents, One with two who doubles them as well. And one with one that stays one. Doesn't end well for him, does it? In some way, the servant gets shut out of the picture. He doesn't get to resume business as usual. But why is Jesus telling us this is something about how the kingdom of God looks like? Why would the kingdom of God look like this. Ancient church commentaries have much to say on this topic. People say all sorts of things. But I found the most interesting clarity about this from 4th century Pope and scholar Gregory the Great. Gregory asserts that all the talents in some way symbolize love. Love grows when we apply ourselves to sharing love. And so he says the five talents symbolize the five senses of human abilities, the five senses. And this one servant uses all of his five senses, and so the five talents become a whopping ten talents. And Gregory then goes on and he talks about the two talents. And he says that the two symbolize 
theory and practice. The theory and practice of being loving. And so when theory and practice work hand in hand, love grows and multiplies and two becomes four. But woe to the one with only one talent. This, Gregory says, symbolizes only theory. Only the concept of love. And so the servant with the one talent contemplates what to do, but never steps out of the theoretical realm, and so nothing happens. The talent is essentially buried, either literally in the ground or figuratively. The love is buried in the heart, but it's completely and wholly unknown to any other living thing. No practice, only theory. Here's where this gets interesting. The premise of this parable is set in the context that in the world that Jesus lived in, people believed, the people, the Hebrew people believed that life, that real living was ultimately a gift from God. When God made the whole creation, it was done out of an act of generosity. The Holy One set up or created human beings to have the capacity to love, the capacity to know true joy in the same way that God does. But in order to know that true joy or that true love, God has to get out of the way and let human beings have free will and fully become themselves so that they can experience this joy and love as God knows it. The author Geddes McGregor wrote in a very short book, He Who Lets Us Be. He tells us that God shows his love for us in as much as what he does not do for us, in as as much as he does for us. McGregor says that if our understanding of divine compassion If our idea of God is one in which God just hovers over us like a parent, then we're only seeing one aspect of God's reality. God is actually bigger than this. So a flip side to that maxim that we hear often in 12-step programs to let go and let God, there might be a portion of our parable that's also wanting us to let to let God's power let us live, let us thrive. To let God's power let us live, let us thrive. In essence, let the good work God has given you to do excel, grow, prosper. Okay, but there's one more piece, one more piece of this before seeing how all of this might apply to us. Who might the merchant in the story be? Who? For today, at least, I want to suppose that the master or the merchant in this story is Jesus himself. So then, let's walk through what this might actually mean. Jesus leaves the kingdom of God, the earth and all the people and all the good that is in it, into the hands of of his followers or his servants. He leaves it to us. 
Some of us get large portions of talents, maybe lots of love or influence or intelligence or maybe even money. And some get smaller portions. But every human being gets at least one thing. Each has his, his or her own free will to choose love. And so here's what we're called to do. We're called to build up the kingdom of God in our local context, in our national context, maybe at times even in a global context. We're here to build it up with the talents that we have. And so when we pool our talents together, at times it might mean our time together, when we gather for prayer, when we gather to worship, or maybe we gather to discern where God is calling us. Or it could mean gathering and collecting our gifts and talents, such as putting our minds together to look at how to eradicate structures of poverty in Phoenix, or how to prevent human trafficking in Arizona, or how we can be better supporters of our families in our congregations, or those maybe who are um, couples, or maybe those who are seniors, or maybe those who are single people, or those in ill health. We're called to bring our gifts and talents and pool them together. And we're also called to do this with our treasure. Because when we do, our giving money becomes a spiritual practice. And the money goes so much further in enabling and empowering the entire community to excel, to grow, and to thrive. As our pledging season continues, each one of you matter. Because when you decide to give of your time and your talent, and yes, your treasure, to the life and the health and the ministry of Trinity Cathedral, you and all of us get to fully immerse our whole selves into taking our talents and offering them to God, offering them to our downtown area and the greater Phoenix community as a witness that God has done amazing things in our lives. And our individual treasure, combined together with other people's treasure, allows the love to spread in a far more profound way that will have a much greater impact on everyone. Quite possibly so great will impact the life of the world. But I still don't think we've unpacked everything about this parable. There is more work to be done. There's still that one servant that buried his talent and is cast out. Do I think Jesus is going to cast out this man? No, I don't. But I think this parable is supposed to disturb us. It's supposed to bother us a little bit. Could it, maybe just could it be another call to community? As Christians, every Sunday, we affirm in our creed that God is not an individual. That's right. 
God does not exist as an individual. God exists in a divine community of love that we call the Trinity. And because of that, this parable has to be calling us to bring the servant with that one lonely talent into the master's community of joy and rest as well. The story doesn't say this explicitly, but parables are supposed to make us reach for something bigger, to imagine something greater than we can even imagine. And we're called to do this because God doesn't desire faithful individuality from us. It's not consistent with anything that we've learned here in this place. And we're not called to live in a world of ideas, in a theoretical world of ideas. We're called to practice, to practice mutual support and encouragement, just as Paul tells the Thessalonians today to encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. So here's a real-world example of how this has played out. It's not about purveyors of fine furniture, but rather it's about purveyors of pastrami sandwiches. True story. The LA Times did a story a few years ago about Jewish delis across America. Many of these delis started in Brooklyn, New York, but as American Jews settled to other places, they took their businesses with them. In the case of this story, the New York-style delicatessen. In the 1930s, New York City had over 1,500 of them, and other cities started having them as well. But over time, many of them closed, or the owners died off, went out of business couldn't make a living any longer on corned beef and rye. But not in Los Angeles. Unlike the deli scene in Miami and in New York and Chicago, the delis continued to thrive in LA. Why? Because Angelinos prefer, prefer more frequently to fill up on Reuben sandwiches and steak fries? No. Because their owners, they were all independently owned, but the owners, the independent mom-and-pop owners of the local neighborhood delis saw themselves as a community. They banded together. They cooperated and shared all kinds of knowledge of what they needed to do to thrive. They brought their talents together, and there are now more local delis per capita in Los Angeles than anywhere else in the world. As the author of the article realized, the more delis there are, the more people are going to want to eat at delis because they're visible, thereby making deli food remain on people's minds. The article concludes by the author saying about the delis collaboration, I thought that was the lesson LA could teach everyone else. That's one example. We're going to have our own. Jesus is asking us today to become his living examples.
of how our kingdom work together will recognize that God is calling us to cooperate, to collaborate, to build something with our combined talent and time and treasure that is going to witness something great in a new way in this very location, in this city, because we are becoming the people God is calling us to be. And we're being called as a holy community of Jesus, not just to grow our talents, but to look out for one another, to give of ourselves, to give of ourselves in the fullest way possible, and to let God let us grow, prosper, and thrive.